Hi, and welcome to the third episode of Fin Talks, podcast by Finergo, talking about all things uh, AML compliance and SaaS and tech. Uh, today, I'm joined by Niall Toomey, the CPTO of Finergo, talking to us today about SaaS and how finance companies can really use SaaS vendors to address financial crime and manage compliance. So Niall, could you just give us a, a quick uh, intro to you? I am part of the founding team in the company 14 years ago. And I run product for Fernergo in the simplest terms. My background, it's been financial services, been working for financial institutions, consulting into them or building software for financial institutions as a vendor. And of course, in addition to all of that, Niall, you're also an expert in SaaS. So can you tell us just a little bit about uh, some of the problems that the market's facing at the moment, just, just to set the scene a little bit? Yeah, I'll take it maybe from uh, from our customer's point of view, our client's point of view. Over the last couple of years, there's definitely been a big call to action in the industry. Competitors, neobanks, challengers, traditional finance institutions, they've kind of shown the way in terms of new capabilities, digital capabilities, um, really reacting fast to market needs. And more traditional finance institutions have looked at that and said, well, why can't we replicate that? You know, you, you can kind of combine that with the customers of banks' expectations have changed. They've been using devices. They see it in, in their applications day-to-day. They have just much higher expectations. They have much higher expectations of the ability to do stuff on the move, self-serve. Um, and then you got you take into account the disruption we've seen, so many different disruptions. you got to be able to react really fast. You can't be slow. You, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Um, and the financials have looked at that. Well, we actually need a, a technical kind of infrastructure that really a platform that allows us to react, to change, to scale, etc. Um, and then a lot of that, that has led people to point them to the SaaS vendors. They've pointed to cloud usage. Um, so they're the call to arms, call to action that's been in the industry. And but the good thing I suppose is that's not necessarily new as in this month. That's been there for the last year, two years, three years. And uh, the nice thing I see in the industry now, which was not there a couple of years ago, is the CIOs of financial institutions. Um, they now have a mandate. They have a mandate to really have a platform and technology set that gives them that gives them benefits to overcome those issues. Sounds like what this boils down to then is FIs, enterprise level FIs, really want to take advantage of the, uh, the tech disruption that fintechs and other startups have really been able to to seize advantage of since inception because they weren't uh, bogged down is maybe an unfair way to put it, uh, maybe held back by having to stick with on-premises solutions for, for so long because for so long on-prem was the only was the only solution, right? You had to have everything in-house. You had to have everything on, on-site. Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent. Uh, but a few applications crept in there. They just didn't realize it. There was, there was, there's SaaS applications in there. They don't. Sometimes you don't quite know it's there. But anyway, just just taking that that point as a as a talking point. Hmm. Moving from on prem to SaaS, that's a that's a very different scenario than creating something on SaaS from the from the start, right? That's a hu- it's a huge commitment, and there's there's a lot of risk in that. So why why should businesses take the leap? I mean. The, the major FIs, they still have real market dominance, right? So so why should they move to SaaS? Yeah, um, when we talk to them, it's, it's, never that, it's never that black and white. What you find is actually a lot of times they're actually using SaaS. It's probably for less mission-critical applications. So it's actually a lot of times 
they've actually they can actually start seeing the benefits and they've been educated and they're they're not quite but it's a question for them is do they have the trust now to put mission critical applications on the cloud um that's kind of the, the first point i would make in it um and w- why should they so when they look at it often they look at it and they'd say look security is security going to be compromised and once you come out of the conversation pretty fast is actually almost the opposite uh, security is going to be better. As a consumer SaaS, we're going to do a much better job checking the vendor security. So it's security is definitely one. But the other benefits really are flexibility, the ability to scale up, scale down, peak loads, the ability to take advantage of new technologies, really innovate, you know, the likes of taking advantage of machine learning. Um, also, institutions have to do more or less they've less people you know the idea of committing resources to operationally running technology infrastructure where you could free those resources up and actually do something that is more business impacting you know that is really appealing because they're not getting budgets for more people you know it really is trying to make do what you have and then if you get it right you pick the right vendor greater reliability um, and ability to offer channels to your customers that are really responsive and digitally enhancing so they're kind of those kind of cross-cutting pieces and it should all end up add up if you do it right to much lower total cost of ownership um so they're the kind of the benefits that would be at the top table of financial institutions would they be looking at this as an overall strategy sure and i like one, one of the things that i know that uh having spoken to the tech team and the product teams uh one of the advantages they always like to talk about is the ability for continual updates to to always bring the the latest version the best version of the technology to the customer uh, within seconds in terms of rollout, uh, just because there's there's such easy access because everything's delivered via SaaS, everything's delivered online. So how does that how does that kind of factor into ideas of like employee retention and, and retaining talent? Because I know, uh, for example, SaaS is user is heavily in compliance. I heard today that something like fifty percent of all um, banking and FI workforces are in compliance, right? And they have significant turnover. So being able to retain that talent is a real key driver for them. So how can SaaS help in that department? It's, it's probably similar to any other job. People, What do people want from their job? They want to uh, be working interesting challenges. They want to be empowered to be successful in those challenges. And they want to be able to master their skill set. What they don't want is to go through waiting for a six to 12 month upgrade project to your previous point, you know, when you get in SaaS, it's meet updates, because, and they can't deal with their back book of remediation and tell the regulator they're behind you. They don't want to do that. That's job dissatisfaction in a nutshell, you know, some of the factors. So when you think of maybe the impact of people who are working AML compliance that the uh, SaaS can give them, um, like the first thing is, if you choose a really good SaaS product, well, you can bolt on more capabilities really easy. So I'm doing anti-money laundering. I want to actually have a new screening provider, or I want to actually connect transaction monitoring with my KYC platform to have greater behavior analysis. Or, you know, you can take the pieces, you can work with them, and you can really fast and easily add on more capabilities as your problem statement changes. So like, that is one real benefit. The other benefit is, you know, AML, when you're in compliance, people who work in it will notice there's always a massive backbook of customers to review, periodic reviews or something has changed. There's never enough people get the right technology in place, get the right um, capabilities. Actually, you can automate that, do much more stretch your processing, and you can focus on the higher value add, the exceptional cases, the items that really need your, your review. Um, and that makes your life much easier. 
And people would see it like it's never just one solution. It's an ecosystem of solutions, the ability to connect those solutions, whether it's data providers, whether it's your client lifecycle management platform, your screening providers, whether it's your transaction monitoring behavior capability, that ecosystem and to your kind of underlying downstream transaction systems. If you bring those ecosystems together, well, you have a great platform to really do compliance, to do screening, but getting those platforms together can be really tough. In a SaaS world, with the right protocols, with the right technology, you can actually connect them much easier. So that kind of gives you the, the outcome. And then in general, just having that, what you would have mentioned, faster time to delivery, making changes really fast. You know, as things change, you can pivot your solution against those business needs much faster. And that that makes you be much more successful in your job. Okay. I mean, that, that, that all sounds really great. I mean, it sounds like there's there's nothing but upside, really, from, <laughs> from the off. And I just, I, just, I just want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, obviously, security is a huge concern for any CIO, for any for anyone who works in F, any FI at all, really. And so when it comes to moving to SaaS from on-prem, when it comes to, so not just uh, being on SaaS, but also that transitional process, how can CIOs ensure that their customer data, their data, everything that they are required to do is com- is completely secure from the off? Yeah, so um, it's 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 a really important question. I guess the nice part is with SaaS, you're actually putting responsibility on the SaaS provider. They have to give you SLAs, they have to give you agreements, and they have to take, they take over operation responsibility to a point, to a point. Now, that sounds great, but then, how, well, that's, then you've got to go into a different mindset is you've got to trust, but verify. Like you really have to trust us, verify. So the first piece of advice is, are you set up to do that verification? Are you set up to uh, do the ongoing audit that you want to do with those SaaS providers? Because it's a different skill set than when you're running internally. And it's a different process, procurement process you'd go through. I'd say, so if I was sitting on the other side of the table, I'd be asking, well, do you have industry standard SLAs? Do you really have a strong trust and security capability in your company? Who, who, is, who are the people that are running that for you? Um, and give me the certification to go with it. Give me the ISO, SOC certifications, et cetera. Do you have really strong notification channels if there's an incident? Um, is your data privacy function on the ball, understands the data privacy requirements across different geos and giving you insurance that the data is secure? So while the vendor who's running the SaaS product is to, uh, operationally responsible, you are also responsible and you're responsible to regulator as a person purchasing. So do you have that capabilities to really inspect that vendor? That would be a bit, I'd look at it. Some I've seen some of our clients take it in a kind of a cloud center of excellence approach. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's great, you've got this great capability, but internally then you're out kind of outsourcing that responsibility to this other group, this cloud center of excellence, where you're really, if you are the business person buying the SaaS from the SaaS vendor, you might want to leverage them to help you and give you the expertise as part of your process, but you kind of have to own it. Talk about cloud center of excellence, which sounds very fancy. Um, what what exactly is that? Is that like a an outside consultant who would be involved? Or? <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. When um, organizations go on this cloud journey, they often say, well, why don't we need to get this group that knows best practice? They know how do you evaluate a cloud provider? They know actually what is good look like from an architectural perspective. How do you manage your cloud costs? How do you, you know, so there's all these, because it's new and they often get these groups together. Um, it's hit and miss. It works sometimes where they are partnering different parts of the organization. 
it can sit on the side and be ineffective in outsourcing kind of of that responsibility when actually they're kind of they go off and do their thing they give the thumbs up and then someone else goes off and uses the application but they're kind of and they kind of don't really connect back with them properly um so that'd be kind of that's that's where it comes from it's just having that center of excellence in terms of cloud understanding and, and evaluating a SaaS provider one of the major issues, especially uh, for Finago as a company, uh, is that we, we're seeing financial crime constantly accelerating. Right, I think no one is arguing that financial crime is not on the not on the rise, and there's constantly increasing sophistication and re- and the regulatory environment as a whole is is always in flux. How does moving to SaaS CLM really help with this sort of sort of issue? Because new regulations are coming down all the time, and companies need to react. Quickly. So one of the, the real benefits is, we said earlier, lack of upgrades. Often the capabilities and features are released, they're released for everybody. A good SaaS provider will have only one version of the software, and then you can adopt those. So when it comes to new regulations, it's available. Um, we like to kind of think of it as an antivirus type kind of approach where the latest version is available, the latest update, it's happening in the background. But of course, you can't just you know, for the end users that kind of just appear from nowhere. It's available, you adopt it, you enable it, and then it's available to users. So that's the nice part. Uh, The other nice part is when you get the right vendor is they have a community. So they are really engaging with what's important to the clients. What is the client's opinion that's happening in the industry? What are the trends? What are the directions? How to interpret? And having that community approach together is kind of mutualization of the of the brain power and the process of actually creating these regulations so you don't have to be on your own you don't have to be creating them on your own it's available um and it's been taught through with a bunch of clients and and regulatory experts and it's really easy to adopt because it's actually out there in the product you just got to enable it for your users so just go back for a second to um to moving from on-prem to to SaaS. how do you prevent any service outages how do you make sure that you're constantly firing in all cylinders and that your end user, your end customer, isn't going to be impacted. Uh, so obviously, from a, somebody providing a SaaS product, um, it's really important to have best-in-class industry practices that you're following. Um, do you make sure you've used the correct number of availability zones, etc.? So, but but from a consumer, the really important part is what SLAs are there. How do you measure the SLAs? Are they industry standard? Um, and what happens if there is an outage? How do you get notified? What's the resilience strategy that's put in place that they're really important? And just because somebody is running on your behalf doesn't mean that you can just not understand that, not challenge what is best in class first. So, but then really nice part is we're leveraging best in class cloud providers and we're leveraging the best practices that they will put in place. So you're not reliant on one vendor Trying it is true and figure it out. You're reliant on the vendor adopting the practices that have been used by thousands and thousands and thousands of other people, as well as you know what's been taught through from the cloud provider. Right. Okay. I see. That that, that makes sense. You want to everyone wants to do what the best in the world is doing, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, tech the tech industry as a whole is is a is an industry where there's a lot of good work going on, but also a lot of obfuscation happens. So when when FIs when big client big tech clients are looking to evaluate a SaaS provider, how can they how can they make sure that they're truly SaaS? How can they identify in the RFP stage? Because sometimes I think we see providers, and this this is across in all industries, right? We see providers in the SaaS space who 
are sometimes a little bit on-prem with a bit of SaaS? Uh, how do you make sure that they're fully SaaS from the get-go? And how do you remove those people from your um, from your process early on? Without even going too deep into the look at the technology, look at the platform, there's, there's characteristics that normally show it up. Like how fast is it to provision a new tenant? You know, if somebody, if you're signing for somebody and you all know, pricing legal etc that's all done but actually they'll tell you well it's going to take a, p- a long period of time to get you up and running before you do anything with the system or change anything well then there's, there's something that would be a red flag again the ability to react to peak loads etc that, that would be a red flag if that wasn't there how fast you're getting new features the slas will t- typically tell you the type of slas that are achievable with true cloud native they're much better than non-cloud native that that'll flush them out so there's, there's all these things uh, that really kind of characteristics without, without even going too deep and in inspecting, you know, under the hood that really tell you if it's really meant for cloud native. Has it been built with cost efficiency in mind? Sometimes it's not actually because they want it. It's just that they're constrained by the product. It doesn't actually scale it. And there's a big cost base to scale it. You know, um, it's a kind of fixed scale model where you really have to put upfront uh, capacity in place, even if it's not being used. That'll, that'll flush out those type of characteristics. Right, sounds like the devil's really in the details then, and you really got to get get technical with the um with the contracts to make sure that you're getting what you what you think you're getting, right? Yeah, and and so I guess one one of the things that you really highlighted there was making sure that the vendor is providing you with real value. And I, I don't know about you, but I ha- one of the problems that I've had in the past with engaging certain softwares is that sometimes I find that you know they just kind of languish on the side, and I'm only using them a little bit. I'm not really getting the maximum value out of the software that I've bought or the service that I've bought. How is it that um, businesses can make sure that they're properly integrating their new software and really maximizing the outcomes and really maximizing the value they can get out of their SaaS? Yeah, I mean, the way I, I like to look at it is, look, you should think really big, but you should probably start small. People go into something with massive ambitions, roll out globally, get all the requirements, and actually getting quick value out to a user base and incrementally growing from there and getting the feedback and maybe you know changing direction in terms of what you're doing. Um, that is much better. We do come from an industry that likes to think large change programs, that likes to think multi-year you know, project plans, et cetera, um, which is just the nature of it. But actually, why not be live much faster than that? Why not get your time to live and solve a business problem and then solve the next business problem, the next trying to solve, not rather than trying to solve everything. Um, c- kind of linked to that is historically, people will have built a system. It'll be there for a number of years. And then they say, well, I'm going to replace it with a SaaS provider. What you find is they come in day one with a big, document and what is it it is basically can we rebuild our legacy platform they're like it's got to have all these features in this way that's the way our users like to use it and you'd be like well if i did that i pretty much have delivered to you one something that's custom and we're not going to do that and two it's just going to replicate what you had on on premise and why why are you looking to replace that if it's if that's what you actually want as an outcome but people just think in terms of must have these requirements so i would say um Maybe to give you an analogy, it's like, you know, you have a combustion engine car and you want to buy an electric car, but all you're evaluating it on is all the features you have in your current car. You're completely missing out on all the cool stuff you could be doing that didn't exist in your old car. But your mindset is, let's uh, let's, let's just have what we had previously and let's get it on the cloud. Um, so I, I would say start small. I would say have it as a lighthouse project and show the value and spread out from there. But two, 
be open-minded in terms of what parts of that do you really want to use first? What is actually going to be the biggest bang for your buck? And it may be actually something you didn't have in your old applications. Um, it might be something that is actually something really automated, really will make operator efficiencies come true and really gives you strong business benefits and do it in a really fast time frame. Okay, that's really interesting. So it sounds like what matters is uh, coming to the conversations with a plan, but being ready to adapt and really take advantage of of what the provider is able to, to give you. Yeah, exactly. Some companies are looking to get the maximum value out of their SaaS provider. Sometimes they just want what they already had on-prem, but on SaaS. Is there any benefit to having a more hybridized approach? Again, good applications are modularized. So let's. what you really want to do is something that solves a business problem, but unlocks the value potentially in other areas of the business or other applications that are complementary. So a really great sign of a great product is, yes, I'll come in, I'll serve your business users, but I will grab data or I will pass work over to other systems that are naturally complementary that would sit in the ecosystem. And those systems are not all going to be in the cloud. They're not all going to be in SaaS. So the ability to to connect in and to leverage that data, uh, definitely taking that approach. Uh, You don't want to get too much in the weeds where you're picking and choosing at a feature level, that makes no sense. It's got to be at a more macro level. Um, you have a line of business app. It's achieving these, solving these problem statements, but it's leveraging data. It's leveraging capabilities from other systems that may absolutely be on-prem because you don't have to change everything just to get it right day one. It's, that's going to be too slow to approach. I think more and more businesses are really looking for strategic partnerships with their vendors. I, I, I've actually heard conversations where some businesses have asked for AML policies to be built by their vendors with a, a gentle no, usually being the answer. But really, I think businesses are looking for more than a simple exchange of services sometimes and really looking for real strategic partnership going forwards with their providers. What do you think both sides can do to help create the best partnership and to help create an environment where these ultimate business goals are reached? We are we're enterprise B2B. In that world, you really want to have a strategic relationship. What does that mean? You know, it's more than just I'm going to give you an exchange of services. I would like to know, well, actually, can you connect me to the rest of your client base? So I want to have taught exchange. This is where we work at. It's not necessarily an explicit competitive advantage. You know, you, you actually want to be standardized as possible to the industry because if you're inspected with a regulator, guess what? If they're passing everybody else, they'll pass you if you're all kind of aligned to what you're doing. Um, so there's definitely a level. Can you? Is there a community? Can you connect me to your other clients? Can I learn from them? Are you bringing in taught leadership as a vendor? You've just been across multiple clients. Um, Obviously, you're not going to tell me anything specific to them, but you will tell me what the best practice in the industry looks like because you're you're looking at that. And you want to also in the vendor when they're talking to you, do you want they want you want them to be very clear and say no? Sometimes not everything you're doing is in the best interest. It's not in the best interest of the product. Um, It's not best interest of you because it may not be best practice. So you want to have a vendor that's strong enough to tell you that to tell you why and kind of lead you on a path that is, that's even better. And if they're developing as a vendor something new and innovative and you want to lead and be an early adopter, can you get involved? Can you see the prototypes? Can you help really that iterative discovery phase? Um, you know, that, that's, that's, that to me looks good. And the vendor side, that's what looks good. Not all clients will want that. Some of them will be actually late adopters. They want to see multiple other clients take advantage of new capabilities that has been proven and then they will take it. So that's fine. But for the ones that are in a different mindset, uh, very much are they aligned to your you we look at them are you aligned to my product vision can you help me shape that vision can you do you want to actually go on a discovery journey 
upfront for new stuff that we're working on, you know, and share ideas um, and do that with more than just one vent client, maybe a couple of clients together. They're, they're the type of things, but also understand it is a product. It's not going to be bespoke for every client and understand it's got to be something that meets the market. They're the type of characteristics we look at when we're looking at kind of clients and who want to lead the way with us. Thank you so much for joining me today, Niall. Obviously, you're on uh, LinkedIn as Niall Toomey. If you do want to contact us at Fenogo directly, you can email us on info at and you will get through to someone who will be willing to talk to you about all your SaaS vendor needs. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Fin Talks with myself, Don Nasigadu, and Niall Toomey. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast just search for fin talks and make sure you like and subscribe